Welcome in to the Shop Management Show presented by AutoLeap. I'm your host, Will. This podcast will explore the experiences, challenges, and lessons learned of auto repair shop owners. We will cover every topic imaginable from EVs to technician shortages, right to repair, and so much more. Please like, share, and subscribe to this podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. AutoLeap provides an all-in-one cloud-based shop management software that helps shop owners better understand their business, increase efficiency, and grow revenue. You can find a link to schedule a demo with AutoLeap in the show notes of this episode. Today, I'll talk with Syed Kazmi, shop owner of Caratronics Auto and Truck Repair in Elgin, Illinois. We will dive into one of the most difficult issues facing the industry today, hiring and retaining qualified technicians. Syed, how are you? Pretty good. I appreciate you bringing, on, bringing me on. Absolutely. Uh, thank you for joining me today. So I'd like to start by providing some context uh, for this topic on the technician shortage itself. So last year, AutoLeap gathered survey data from shops across North America in our 2022 State of the Auto Repair Industry Report. And we found with the data that over half of shops identify staffing as their biggest issue, and also that three out of four shops say they are concerned about a lack of qualified technicians in the industry. I wanted to open up to you. Uh, what is your general reaction to that data? Uh, you know, I actually, I must say, I agree with what they're uh, saying uh, due to the fact that I experience it on a day-to-day basis. Well, that tells you that, you know, uh, it impedes the ability of a business to be able to provide good quality service. Uh, when you don't have a, a qualified technician on top of it, as well as just not enough technicians, uh, it creates a situation where um, uh, diagnoses and, and repairs are erroneously being done uh, without without the want to do it, but just still uh, making you know the wrong decisions due to the fact that we don't have the right people to do it for or do the diagnoses for me. Having a qualified technician is imperative, especially now due to the fact that these vehicles are so complex. Uh, gone are those days where you can listen to an engine and go, oh, I know what's wrong with it. Let you do this to it and it'll work. It's not like that anymore. Uh, you know, uh, from the most minute problem to the most complex problem, it's a computer that determines what's going on. Uh, and it could be as simple as a $5 fix and it could be as complex as a $5,000 fix. But to be able to decipher that information, to be able to read and understand what's going on, the lack of uh, uh, educated individuals that can handle this uh, is extreme. I mean, I suffer with that on a day-to-day basis, trying to find them. Uh, and then sometimes you are priced out of the market to be able to afford them because they're such in high demand that a, certainly a bigger shop that has the means and the finances to be able to bring them on, it makes it hard for us to be able to attract that type of individual to come work with us, uh, which creates a major um, challenge because you know, you're trying to grow, you're trying to build your business, you want to get to a level where you become a good, you know, solid uh, shop with a, a smooth running operations. <laughs> and it, it doesn't happen always. Yeah, that's great context. And um, it really speaks to the difficult challenge ahead for a lot of shops in the industry with how complicated the vehicle technology is becoming and just the requirements you just were talking about. In terms of 
your initial approach, you know, when you first started your shop in terms of hiring technicians, how has it evolved with all of those things in mind in terms of the new challenges that you're facing? How have you kind of adjusted and refined that approach over the years? So initially, when we first start off the shop, uh, being a brand new shop with tight uh, money crunches, uh, it was hard to be able to go, okay, let me hire a good qualified technician. Uh, but as we started to grow and started to build and started to bring in stability, such as the fleet accounts that we have, it gave us the opportunity, the luxury to say, okay, we're willing to pay more to be able to find better talent. Um, and then the, the challenge that came to us was we would pay for uh, you know, these uh, recruiting companies and all these, but we realized, you know, I'd say about six months into it that, okay, we're just paying, and but we're not getting what it is that we're looking for. Uh, just because an individual puts it on paper doesn't necessarily mean that they truly know what it is that they're talking about. Embellishment on, on their resumes really makes it hard to make a decision if this is an individual that you're willing to pay that kind of salary to. Uh, but uh, what has happened is we have realized that, okay, um, we'll definitely bring on a technician, but we'll bring them on as an apprenticeship. Uh, but we don't necessarily go, oh, well, we're going to only bring you on as an apprentice, but we explain to them, hey, look, this is a relationship we're looking to build. We want to see how qualified you are by inaction versus, uh, you know, just just saying, okay, you're you're you've got a resume, let's hire you kind of thing. And so what that does is it gives us an opportunity to uh, mutually decide if we are not right for each other's fit. And so that has given me an opportunity to bring on some solid technicians. I mean, within the last one year, I was able to bring on three solid two diesel technicians and one uh, a technician that is an all-around technician from electrical to uh, uh, exhaust work as well as welding. Uh, so it gives me a well-rounded uh, group of individuals in my shop that uh, have a goal to achieve, uh, you know, uh, the end means. And that is, bottom line, everybody wants to get a paycheck. And that means you have to work towards it. That means you must have an initiative, a drive. And so these individuals, they tend to bring that to the table and that helps. Uh, so that's how I've been getting my uh, technician. Granted, it never is enough. I have three solid technicians. Well, guess what? I can use three more. But um, at this point, uh, having those three are a blessing for me that gives me an opportunity to really truly build my business. That's amazing to hear. And I'd love to hear more about the apprenticeship program. Like what, what goes into laying out the steps of that? When do you know when a technician is ready to take the step into a full-time role at your shop? How do you outline that? Yeah, I, I'm blunt with them. I, I'm up front and say, look, I, look, man, I feel that you're absolutely very much qualified for the position based upon everything that you've said to me and what your uh, certifications and schooling and all that you have. Uh, and, you know, obviously the the, line, the communication that we're having, it seems like you already are fluent with the lingo of being a mechanic. Because, you know, so mechanics I love to speak uh, the, uh, you know, mechanic language kind of thing, uh, but doesn't necessarily mean they know what they're talking about. But what that does is it gives me an opportunity to bring them in and say, hey, look, um, 
I want to take a chance on you, as well as you are, I'm hoping that you will take a chance on us. So because we want to have this marriage uh, successful, let's date each other for six months and then decide at the end of six months which way to go. So I bring them on not just as a apprenticeship, but as a contractor, which gives me the ability to walk away from the deal where we're not obligated to them. Vice versa, they have the luxury to walk away from us without having to be committed to us, right? But that that's a great period for, for us to understand. And that's exactly how I started these three guys. And, you know, you kind of already know within the first month to three months that, oh, yeah, this guy's just going to be, that's it, final, he's done. We're going to sign, seal, seal the deliver, and, and deliver the contract on it. If that is the case, then I would do it. But with all three of them, I decided, hey, I'm going to give it the full six months. And I'm happy I did because it also created that mindset in their mind that, hey, I need to earn this position rather than, uh, you know, uh, just uh, uh, get it just because I, I did I was a flash in the pan kind of thing you know so that's how I have been training them uh, it's harder to do it the way I'm doing it by the way because it's not easy to find them that means how did I go and dig them out where did I find them from I would literally uh, you know talk to anybody that I came face to face say hey do you know anybody that's a mechanic you know anybody that's looking for mechanic work uh because I speak to hundreds of people a day. And, you know, like even my customers that call me, hey, by the way, uh, you know anybody that is in school that's going for mechanic uh, or anything like that? And what that does is it just opens up the floodgates. Now, <laughs> I do have to go hundreds of them and deny them because I just looked at, oh yeah, this is a waste of time, waste of time. But out of that stack of hundreds, you get a good quality pool of candidates from which you can now pick and choose. And that's what I was able to do. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. As someone goes through the apprenticeship program at your shop, what were, you You mentioned a little bit some of the positive qualities you'd look for. So what are, what are some of those examples of qualities that really show that they could have a full-time role there? And then also on the flip side, what are some potential red flags that you're monitoring that would show that they aren't a good fit to work at your business? Absolutely. Step one, my shop opens at eight o'clock every morning, Monday through Friday. If the individual is not here at 745, which I will let them know all the requirements that I have as far as time-wise and lunch and all that stuff. So if they don't adhere to it, then I already know it's old. Because if an individual cannot be on time, then they can never get the job done. There's no way you're going to move forward. It doesn't matter. You can be the greatest, uh, you know, uh, technician on earth. But if you can't be on time, there's no future for you at Cartronics. Uh, that's one. Reason being is because my door has to open no matter what, uh, whether it's sunshine, rain, uh, snow, or a beautiful day like it is today. At 8 o'clock, the door must be open and we must be ready for business, not standing in hand with a coffee and going, well, give me a minute, let me finish my coffee. No, you're in uniform and ready to go. So that's step one. So I'm very strict about that. Number two, the individual's demeanor as to how they interact with me as well as the individuals in the shop. Because when you're here, you must be here 100% and you must be able to, it's like a family. No matter how you say it, if you can't get along with the individuals or if you start becoming the irritant, 
then you're gone. Is that, and it doesn't matter again it, because it creates bad morale. And I cannot have an individual doing that in my shop. Uh, and we have let go of individuals because of that. Not one, but two different individuals because I cannot have bad morale because it only causes an individual to not want to come and show up here. Why would you want to go anywhere where you're feeling like this is not a good, clean environment to be in emotionally? And then the, the other things that I look for are obviously your expertise, because if you come and give me a diag and that diag turns out to be a bad diag, okay, maybe I might look it over, look over it once. But it happens like the second, third time, uh, that's a major issue. And it could be as simple as you missed, and I know this sounds pretty, you know, obnoxious, but you have to understand, I am in the industry to make money. I'm not here because I want to show up and sit in a dirty shop listening to, you know, brakes being banged on. I showed up because I want to get a paycheck. So if you have a vehicle in hand and you are not noticing that there's a wiper blade with a plastic that's just hanging off the bottom there and you don't make the recommendation that, hey, you need to replace these wiper blades, or if this is a fleet vehicle, which you don't even have to make the recommendation. You just say it, notate it on there, wiper blade damaged needs to be replaced. End of question, right? Because they're going to pay no matter what. They're not going to want their vehicle on the road with a busted wiper blade. Little things like that to obviously the largest things as far as doing the diagnosis on the electronics and the and the uh, transmissions and engines, uh, emissions and things of that nature. The other thing is uh, your ability to maintain your uh, work area as well as the rest of the shop. It's not, oh, this is not my area, so I don't touch it kind of thing. Every part of the shop is your area, right? So if you're walking by and you see oil leaking or there's a puddle of oil on the floor, or if you see tools just strewn somewhere, either find out whose they are and say, hey, why don't you pick it up? Or you do it, but get it done. Not say, oh, well, you know, I didn't even notice it. Or walk by and not notice it. These are the things that I'm looking for. On the other flip side, uh, individuals that succeed with me are the ones that are go-getters, initiative takers, to on time, in uniform, uh, ready to go. Uh, they have a... Uh, a sense of, hey, uh, it, it, I'm not going to drag my feet on a brake job because a brake job will start going into negative balance after a certain amount of hours. Now, I do keep my uh, mechanics on salary. Most in the industry say, well, it motivates them when they're on the hourly uh, per job basis. Uh, yes, if they're not self-motivated, that's how you have to do it. But I have no room for unself-motivated individuals in my shop. Every individual that I have in my shop is self-motivated to the point where our, you know, uh, we have a small kitchen in the back, and everybody in our shop takes the initiative to make sure that that kitchen is clean because we all eat together there. So nobody has to be asked, "Oh, could you take the garbage out? Could you please clean out that? Oh, that spilled over there. Could you pick that up?" It is initiative-driven. Meaning, hey man, it's built. It's second nature for them to clean up. Vice versa, if they see a guy struggling on a vehicle, it shouldn't be going, wow, this is not my project. I'm not, not my project. I'm not going to go there. And that's how most mechanics are. In my shop, all three mechanics work together. My business partner is the fourth mechanic, but he doesn't have to do the physical work as much. But if he needs to jump in, he will. If he has to bang out a, a bearing, he will do it. And he gets down and dirty. If he needs to get underneath the vehicle, whatever needs to, to be to help them, get them the assistance that they need to get the job and get the job done. So these are the key items that I look for in 
my individuals here. Yes, it's taken me a long time to get to this point. But once you build them and they get a salary where they have that peace of mind that, hey, um, I will get paid no matter what, but then I also have to contribute no matter what, right? And so it's a uh, loyalty kind of thing that is naturally built up between us all together here. So that is key. It takes time to build that, it, but it starts from top, top down. If management itself is incapable of being on time and or uh, you know creating an atmosphere where you must be self-driven to do the things, then you can't expect anybody else to do it. So that's important when it comes to a shop. But that's how I continue. I mean, my now these employees have been here for a year. I'm home. The way we're going, it looks like they'll be here for many, many years to come. There's no upheaval of wanting to look for other places to go. Uh, you know, here's the thing. Money is always going to be a factor as far as pay. They're always going to, everybody, even I, oh, I don't pay myself enough. That's always going to be the thing in a retail and work environment of an auto repair shop. But what I have done is I've gotten to a level, once we hit that one year mark, I speak to them and I go, look, what is your true comfortable salary that you want to be at? Up until now, it's been what I've been offering you. What do you feel that you should get? And almost always they're going to give me a whacked out number. But what that does is it gives me an opportunity to go, okay, let me work with them and go, well, the number you just hit me with, I can't even meet you halfway through, but I can meet you a quarter of the way. So what that does is then it tells them, okay, at least he's willing to meet me at a quarter of the way on my salary. He's worried about me getting paid so that I don't, you know, go broke trying to work here. But at the same time, I tell them, look, you get evaluated every six months. So I will give you an increase every six months based upon your evaluation and obviously understanding the fact that the business has to also support it for you. So in a sense, they're kind of mini business owners thinking like it. So if they see more and more business coming in and they understand that, hey, at the end of their six-month uh, review, they're going to get raised. But if they notice that there's no business coming in, then they know that it's happening because of somebody lacking somewhere. And so uh, that has been a very good way of me being able to mitigate my uh, payroll uh, cost. You know, by no means, uh, my payroll cost is way up there. But even then, you know, I'm not the top pair of uh, paychecks to my employees. They must earn that. So it sounds like you have a really thoughtful approach to company culture as well, actually laying out a, a development path for your employees and your technicians at your shop. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Other other ways that you try to empower your team from a retention perspective, because it's clearly you have a you have an outline of how to attract the right candidates to come and work at your shop. But from a retention perspective, what are the extra steps that you take to go above and beyond and keep quality people around? So every two months, I subscribe to networks that have training classes that I pay for for my technicians to go to. The beauty of it is they also make these training classes where it's after hours. So once we close, they can go in and, and they can do it online and they can actually show up in class. But one or another, it, it makes it convenient for them to convenient for them to be there. And they actually get a completion of certificate with either a pass or a fail, or not necessarily a pass fail, but more, hey, you know, you need to work on this side of it. So that gives me also a benchmark to work with, you know, when that happens. So here's the thing. I make the offer to the, the, the person, hey, I have this class coming up. I'd like you to join. 
uh, is this something you want to do? If they're the go-getter that I know that they are, they're not going to say no to me. They're going to make it happen, even if they had other plans going on. But I also, you know, let them know well in advance so they're not in a situation where like, oh my God, you didn't tell me. But what that does is it keeps that fresh knowledge in mind because they're constantly getting educated. Book knowledge is taking place. They're learning about new things like hybrid vehicles and things of that nature. So providing them that ability to get a free formal education in that sense, uh, it it gives them the reason to go, okay, at least they want to invest in me learning more information. And the other thing I do is this, I didn't mention this earlier. Each individual, when I hire them after that six-month trial, when I'm now really hiring them to go into W-2 income, I then let them know that, hey, listen, this should always be a learning position for you for growth. Because in life, there comes a time where you like, like, just like a tortoise in a shell, you have to get into a new shell or shed that shell and grow a new shell, just like, a, you know, any animal that has to do it. So if you are that type of person where it says, hey, man, I'm ready to grow and I may perhaps need to look for other, you know, places to, to to grow and perhaps because now I've maxed out myself here, I never want you to go, oh, man, so you're not going to want to let me leave. That I hated. Any job that I worked at, if they told me that I didn't have the freedom to, you know, grow to another position and move on to a new location, I immediately said, oh, this is not a job I'm ever going to work at because I, I don't, I don't want to get stuck for life at one place. So that option, when I put that thought into their mind, that gives them that ability to go, I'm going to get this education. Maybe three years, five years, three years down the road, I don't want to be here with Syed anymore. I want to go to another company and spread my wings a little. Or maybe I want to open my own shop. You know, having that knowledge is important. It gives them that, that, that says, okay, one, I get to grow book-wise. Two, this would come in handy for my future. And that's what I'm looking for when I say furthering their education. Yeah, that seems like you're really focused on developing a genuine connection with your team versus it all being about profit and, you know, revenue of the shop and having that kind of surface level relationship. So it seems like that really makes a big difference for, it probably does make a big difference in day-to-day productivity and just everyone buying into the overall mission. For a shop of my size to be able to turn over vehicles like I do, uh, it's very hard because you burn out individuals very fast. And so they, it's always a turnover for them. So from the beginning, I realized, I go, that is not the type of environment I want. I want individuals to feel comfortable working here and not get burned, but yet, you know, grow and, and, and become better than they were the day before. So a better mechanic or a better technician the following day, because they gain some knowledge that they didn't have the previous day. And that is the type of a technician that you want, because what that does is they truly end up finding those problems uh, in those vehicles. And I've had, you know, we specialize in BMWs and and all these other uh, European vehicles. And let me tell you, I have BMWs come in here and these guys are at their wits end. Some of the dealers even turn them away because they're like, you know what, we don't even have the, the software to even check your vehicle anymore because it's an older vehicle. So when it comes in and my guys are able to make that diag and it just closes the deal right there, I don't have to sell it anymore. 
once the diag and the correct uh, remedy is found, these guys are, it's a done deal. So having to have that, you also have to have loyalty both ways. Absolutely. I also wanted to talk about the role of technology in your shop and how that also empowers uh, your team of technicians to be successful, like the example you just mentioned. So how are you guys using software like AutoLeap to um, you know, empower your technician team and help improve their productivity in the day and then also just make life easier in general? Well, the, the beauty of it is the fact that how smooth uh, AutoLeap works with my technicians when they are doing a diag on a, a, a vehicle. Uh, what, you know, many a times, especially the physical ailments of a vehicle that is visible, a picture speaks a million words. So if there is a component that is physically broken and you can take a picture of it and then attach it to the estimate and send it to the customer, uh, that makes a big difference, right? And for that customer to decide, hey, uh, do I fix this or are they just BSing me, you know? Um, but having a technician to be able to do that, you'd be surprised how hard it is to get technicians to do that. They just don't want to do it for some reason. I don't know what it is. Is they're like, yeah, it's broken. Your stone is broken. I'm like, no, a photograph will help. But once I set them up with that auto leap uh, uh, technician side of it, and they're able to write the notes in there, it makes it a lot easier. Uh, and then, you know, these younger technicians nowadays are already comfortable with a cell phone and photos and type, and just, they love to, you know, type away all kinds of details. And so it makes my life easy because when I have to take their verbiage and put it into diag form for my customer, the, the layman to understand in plain American English, uh, it makes it easier on me. Rather than me have to get up and run back there every five minutes. Well, what do you mean by this? What is that? It's all there. And so, yeah, they're all, you know, technology forward on these. That's great to hear. Wanted to get back to the topic of the technician shortage itself from kind of a high level industry perspective. What do you think are some of the ways that the industry as a whole can begin to attract more qualified technicians out of school is it is it education are there it's obviously a complicated issue and there's many factors that go into it based on your experience what are some of the suggestions some of the ideas that maybe shops as a whole and the industry should try to incorporate you know working with the schools themselves to explain to them hey look uh you should make it a little easier for outside shops to be able to recruit directly from your school. Uh, what I've noticed is, and it's kind of strange why this is, because especially in our local area, uh, the local private schools, as well as uh, publicly funded schools that have uh, technicians coming out of them, they don't have a place where both local employers, as well as the students, being able to get together and 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 uh, other than you know well we'll have a event once in a while kind of thing but a, a like an online meet kind of a place where you put in your resume and then what has happened is the industry's gone to a point where uh, anytime you want to recruit somebody you have to hire these paid services to be able to get a resume and those resumes you're just getting like hundreds of them some of them are outdated some are already you know uh, employed somewhere else and things like that but there isn't a cohesive way of schools saying hey local repair shops that are the ones that are going to hire we'll do a direct connection for you 
And so if the industry can figure out a way where they say, okay, let's create a direct connection from the principal company that is hiring and the students in these schools, that would make it that much easier. But that for some reason lacks our industry in our industry. I noticed that I've called several schools, I've visited them, shook hands with the the you know administrators and everything. Oh yeah, yeah, Sam, we'll we'll reach out to you. And that was the end of that. I'm thinking, I am looking to hire somebody right now. I'm in hand standing here going, do you have a candidate? And you're the auto repair, you know, school and nothing. So I don't know why that is. Uh, maybe I'm missing something. But there's a major disconnect there. Yeah, that's interesting. Have you tried to work in any type of youth program into your shop or in inviting, you know, the community in to try to bridge that gap in a way in terms of the youth getting educated on auto repair? There are many factors involved in that. You know, when you're in, a, in an auto repair shop, there's insurance, there's liabilities. There's a lot of factors involved in that. Now, a big uh, repair shop may be able to afford that kind of a program because there's a cost to it, right? Somebody has to bear that cost. A small shop, it would be very hard to do that because immediately the first thing that kicks in is just in case if something happens and an individual gets hurt, then who's on the hook, right? And the shop is. So that is one of the main reasons why uh, I've shied away from that, where I, I want to invite them into the shop, you know? Uh, the other thing is this, yes, in the industry, you don't want to invite everybody on earth into your shop because you've got extremely expensive equipment, tools, and repairs taking place uh, that you don't want it to hinder as the repair is go going on. So there are many factors that. What I was trying to say is local community colleges that have automotive programs, that have students that are studying to become technicians, uh, or local, you know, uh, for-profit uh, automotive uh, institutes that are out there, they don't have any kind of a, a, a bridge between if a local repair shop says, hey, do you have a website or do you have a uh, you know a place where we can come in and look at individuals that you have that we can possibly entertain for a apprenticeship program and or even the apprenticeship programs that they have the hoops that you have to jump through just to get to it I was like okay well by that time I hired somebody else off the street kind of thing right so having that helps I mean, having that kind of a, a, a you know connection would say, hey, this individual is in school right now studying this. For example, I asked the question, hey, do you have individuals that are studying vehicle electronics? Oh yeah, we've got we've got individuals studying and understanding how the you know components in a vehicle electronically work and function and how to test it for uh, shorts and things of that nature. I go, great. How do I get them? as a candidate to even come on board as part-time. Because if, if they are a good fit for me, I can always build them up from part-time to full-time once they graduate. And rather than them wanting to go somewhere else, they already have a job in place. Well, no, the, the program, they, they just go look for jobs for themselves. That's the answer I'm getting and from the industry. And I'm like, what the heck? This is, this is crazy. So it sounds like that networking process between should should begin way beyond, uh, way before they're even finishing and then looking for a job. It should begin while they're in school, building those connections. Exactly. And, and, and but, but not just that, but, but the school itself 
should say, hey, let's create a portal for prospective employers to be able to, uh, you know, uh, you know, choose from a pool of candidates that are there. But I don't know what, where the disconnect is as to why that is not taking place, because that would make that would bring in a pool of great individuals for everyone to be able to hire, you know, to have a good set of uh, individuals rather than, you know, student graduates. All right, you're done. Have a nice day. And then they take their resume and they start shopping around for jobs. Or, or the other the other thing is they go and put it into one of those paid sites where they don't have to pay for the resume to be on there. But then the company that is looking to hire them is now having to search through a pool of your resume, which they may or may not see. There's no guarantee that they're going to see your resume. So you know, see how you're there's a major disconnect there that's taking place. Yeah, it seems like it's almost like too many hurdles on both sides. So then the, that connection never gets formed when it needs to. Um, that seems like a big piece of it. And so the automotive industry has and will continue to suffer until they get to that point of like, okay, if there are, even if there are few candidates, but at least you create that, you know, um, opportunity for everyone that's in the industry that is doing auto repairs to be able to uh, hire individuals to bring on board. And here's the other thing. We all as automotive professionals, and especially the owners, have to come to the realization that there's more than enough vehicles for everybody to repair. You will never dominate the United States. You're not going to be the only shop that's going to provide every single repair. So, you know, it's okay to to share the wealth. And that's how I look at it, right? Uh, it's okay to collaborate together. Not everyone has to have all the equipments and be the multi-repair shop of everything. You know, you should be able to specialize in certain things, like such as the in the industry, there are certain components that are specialized, like transmission shops or engine build-out shops. These guys have, and their specialization. But the general repair shop guy still isn't going to be the guy that does the tires, the alignment, the, the tune-ups, the, the oil changes. Everything. So you have, if we as auto repair shop are able to refer each other, just like doctors, don't they have a referral network in doctors? So wouldn't it be a great thing to have a referral network within the automotive industry? Oh, here's an auto body shop. Here's a, you know, electrician that you, or electrical uh, repair services shop. Uh, oh, you're having suspension issues. Well, this company is the one that specializes in suspension, you know, things like that. That would be good. I think that would only enhance our industry. That's a really good idea. Definitely taking notes on that one. If you had three pieces of advice to give to a fellow shop owner based on these issues that we've discussed today in terms of, you know, hiring, attracting the right candidates, and then also the retention, keeping them around, keeping them uh, empowered in their roles, what would those three pieces of advice be? Well, number one is the relationship that you create with that individual. Uh, if you cannot make a connection with them and there's a separation uh, between you and them to the point where, you know, there's just a number, then you've set yourself up for failure. Number two, uh, you can't demand something out of them if you yourself are not willing to do it. And a simple demand is if you're not on time, then don't expect your employee to be on time. So your shop's not going to open up uh, on time. So that is imperative. Those two are, they go hand in hand. And then the final thing I say is this, is uh, just as you are there to make money to put in your pocket to live a good life, look at it as the same as your employee. Because if they don't enjoy in the fruits of your rewards, that your earnings, then they have no desire to be there and you will continually have a turnover. Um, 
with me, I've through the last six years that I've opened up, uh, I've had a total of uh, 10 employees. And out of those 10 employees, I only have lost four. Two of them because I released them myself and two because they just moved on to other industries. They didn't want to be in the automotive industry. But that's not bad for six years of having that. Uh, and, you know, then replacing them with three employees that are just heavy duty powerhouses, right? So to do that, you you must cultivate and you must build that relationship with them consistently. Uh, and you must have a line of communication with them. If you are never seen, they'll come in. If they come in and leave from the back door and you don't see them for a week and then all of a sudden you go, hey, buddy, how you doing? That's not a relationship. <laughs> yeah. There must be a good morning every morning and there must be a good evening. Have a nice day at the end of the day. It is imperative to do that. And I, I do that with every single one of my employees, including my business partner, because it, it is a mindset of, Hey, I want to see you and I want, I'm happy to have you in my environment. That's a great place to wrap up this conversation. Thank you very much for joining me today, Syed. We'll be back soon with the next episode of the Shop Management Show presented by Autoly.